Um, if you haven't been with us, we've been in a series we're calling Freedom for the past couple of weeks. And um, our, our goal in this, our hope for you as we move through this series is that we would understand that we don't just simply have to endure the challenges that we are facing in life, but we can be transformed in the middle of them. We, we don't just have to endure them. There's transformation that can happen in us through them. And what we've been doing is looking at these walls that we all hit, right? Walls of anxiety, walls of fear, walls of depression, walls of, of pain. We, we run into these walls in life. And, and those moments at times can, can cause us to say very biblical things. 1 Kings 19.4 the prophet Elijah looked up to heaven, and he is hitting a wall in himself, and he says, Lord, I have had enough. How many of you have prayed that prayer? God, I've had enough. I don't know if I can take any more disappointment. I don't know if I can handle any more frustration. I don't know if I can deal with being let down one more time, God, I have had enough. And in these moments, what can begin to happen is that this, the, the circumstances that are around us can start to feel a lot bigger to us than who God has been to us. What we keep coming back to again and again and again and again is that these walls, these moments, these limitations, the, the, these things we run into are not simply there for us to just be a mirror to show us that we're weak. They're not simply there for us to, to understand that we're going to run out of who we are and we need something to take over. That's not the only reason why they're there. They're invitations for us. Our limitations are invitations because 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. When we hit these walls, these moments where it feels like we are saying, Lord, I have had enough. It's an invitation for us to step into more of who God says that we are not just see that we are not who we thought we were. And where I want to go today, I kind of want to start with a question. I know some of you guys are, are new, and, and I want to get to know you a little bit. So do you mind participating? Like, I really want you to answer this question, because oftentimes the pastor will say, like, how many of you, you know, and like two people raise their hand. And then they'll say, well, how many of you do this? And then two other people raise their hand. And so like 300 people just refuse to participate. So let's not let that be us today, okay? Like, so I really want you to think about this question because I, I want to know you, and I really hope that at the end of this, you will know a little bit about me. How many of you are instruction readers? Okay. This is good. Take a minute. Take it in. Take it in. Judge everyone who's not raising their hand. <laughs> because if you're an instruction reader... You have hostility towards people who have a need-to-know relationship with instructions. Right? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not an instruction reader. I, I, 
I always start a project thinking I'm going to be, but then I get in the middle of it and I start thinking, like, I really think that I'm kind of like Wes Bolt. Some of you guys don't know who Wes Bolt is, but Wes can fix everything. He can do everything. It's frustrating. You know people like that? They can build stuff and like, he's an electrician, a carpenter. I mean, he's everything. You know, and so I get into a project and I'm, I try to channel my like inner West Bolt a little bit. You know, I'm like, I could do that. I could hang a chandelier. Thank you, Wes. Thank you. <laughs> so here's the deal. Like, I, I, we, we, got some, we got some chandeliers for our house. This is simple. This is not like, this is like level one do-it-yourself stuff. This is not complex. This is like very straightforward. Couple of screws, you're home free. This is going to be really easy. But, you know, my wife likes to pick things out that make life harder, you know, so... It wasn't, you know, I don't know if you've noticed on a chandelier that they have like this kind of dome at the top. What that dome is, is it, it covers a multitude of sin. That's what that is. When you're, when you're hanging something up, that dome gives you a lot of space to, because to, to, look, as, a, as someone who doesn't read instructions, when things are not working, what's the first thing that you do? You don't go to the instructions. No, you apply more force. That's what non-instruction readers do. And so what that dome is, is you got all these wires hanging down and everything. It allows you just to apply more force and it kind of is going to cover your issues of not actually doing it correctly. Okay, but Liz didn't pick one like that. Okay, she picked like a flush one with the ceiling. All right, now, now here's the thing. Of course she had a friend over when this all went down. Okay, so I, I'm, try, I'm trying really hard to be like the fix-it husband, like, hey, babe, I'm going to hang that chandelier. You know, now, here's the thing. We have high ceilings. I'm standing on our kitchen table. My hand, you know, I'm fully extended, hands like this. I get the, the old chandelier down, and, and, I, and I start trying to figure out how to put the new chandelier up, and it's not working. I mean, I, we're talking about 45 minutes of trying every which way to try to get this cap that is the final step. Just to, All I needed to do is just slip in place. That's all I need to happen. And then I'm home free. We, it's over. We, we've done a great job. I can't figure it out. I cannot do it. Now, Liz and her friend hear me struggling in there. You know, the, you know, the, 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 the slight Christian cuss word slipping out, you know, like... You know, say like some of y'all are nervous about that. Y'all bunch of y'all do it too. You know what I'm saying? Like you, dang it. You know what I'm saying? Like you're what you're, what you're saying, what you're thinking. You know, it's not as your kids wouldn't approve. And so they're hearing this this struggle, and then they come in to the dining room, and her friend just happens to glance at the instructions. This happened in a matter of seconds. Glance at the instructions glance up at what I'm doing, and she says, I think you're putting it in upside down. <laughs> so, of course, I, I say, no, I think you're wrong. Give it to me. The first time I look at the instructions, first time. Oh. <laughs> Flip. Click, right? I mean... 45 minutes of struggle, 15 seconds to get it done right. It's a simple task. It's a simple task. 
But I made it extraordinarily complex because I was doing it wrong. I think some of the things that we're struggling with in life, patterns, addictions, breakdowns, things that we need breakthrough in, we're, we're struggling at times maybe because we're doing it wrong. We're trying to chase freedom in the wrong way. Because freedom is a simple task. It's simple when we read the instruction manual. But when we try to figure it out on our own, we try to get in there on our own and, and apply force and, and, and make it fit, something that is extremely simple can become extraordinarily complicated. We've been spending the last couple of weeks talking about these walls, and these walls have names. We've mentioned some of them, fear, perversion, addiction. What happens when we hit these walls is that they, they, they don't just at times harden us, but they will also create labels for us. Because our walls can start feeling like a loop. And loops always turn into labels. We do this all the time. I mean, if you're, like, let's take the, the big one. Like, you, you deal with alcoholism. That loop creates a label for you, which is, an, I'm an alcoholic. Loops create labels. That, that one's over here, but we have emotional ones over here too. You're not patient. You're angry. That loop of how you deal with your spouse or your kids becomes a label. I'm just angry. And, and we wear that around. And when those behaviors come back up, no longer does it feel like a wall or a limit. It just starts to feel Familiar because we're starting to believe that the label is our identity when the label was given to us in a loop in our brokenness. And so we begin to struggle trying to get the label off, dealing with the behaviors. But, you know, behaviors don't remove labels. This, this is why... We can say what Jesus did on the cross has set us free, made us new. You could say that, you could believe it, you can feel it, but that alone, saying it, is not going to erase the label. And so we, we go through life, we're trying to rip these labels off, and like we've experienced breakthrough, but we are still wearing the label of what tried to break us. So maybe you, you have experienced transformation in your life, but when it gets hard, when a wall comes, when opposition hits, we will oftentimes revert back to the label that we see in the mirror versus the truth of our identity that is found in the word of God. And so these loops that create labels for us that tell us like, oh, I'm just a failure. I'm just a loser. I'm just angry. I'm just an addict. I'm just this. 
I'm just that. It creates a loop for us that no matter what you are dealing with, your loop is going to look something like this. You have the love of God. That God loves you, that he cares for you, and you have the understanding that he's for you and that he wants freedom in your life. And then all of us, because we have all fallen short of the glory of God, and there is nobody that even is walking in the love of God today that is sinless. There has only been one person that has stepped foot on the earth that has not sinned, and that is Jesus. And so we are in a journey of transformation from who we were into who God has called us to be. And so on that journey, we will still sin. And Jesus, what he did for us on the cross is he made a way for us to step from our sinfulness into God's forgiveness or into God's love and grace through his forgiveness. Now, some of you guys don't know this, but I can't spell. And I practice this, but it might still be wrong. But don't send me an email. Okay. Did I spell it right? No. But you know what it means, right? <laughs> Go phonetically with it. This is why I don't like writing in front of people because it's like everything goes haywire. I've got a great story about that in third grade. I'll tell you another time. But this loop of walking in the love of God, stepping back into the brokenness of our sin, experiencing God's forgiveness and stepping back into his love, this journey, this loop that we have in him, we've added steps to it that are not God's steps in it. Here's what I mean. John, 1 John 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Okay? Don't love this. Don't love it. Don't love the world or anything in the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is what? Not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Here's what I want you to hear today. If you hear nothing else, please hear this. We think that we have to resist this to experience this. We have to resist sin to then become worthy of receiving the love that God has for us. But it's not in resisting sin that we will receive the love of God. It's in receiving the love of God that we will resist sin. L listen to the scripture again. Do not love the world or anything in the world, and if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. So if there's a love for this, then there's a deficit here. But what we do in our loops that have created labels is that we feel like this distance 
right here, this distance only gets closed by what we do, not by what God did. Here's how I know this to be true, because in my life in college, I made like a subconscious ranking system for my sin. I don't know if anybody else has done this. I had sins that were like, okay, not a big deal. Yell at your roommate. It's cool, bro. You're broken. You're being restored. I mess around with a girl. Yo, you probably shouldn't go to church for like three weeks. That's like a three-week isolation sin. Anybody else? Where did that come from? It comes from a broken understanding of how we go from being broken into restoration. Because in culture, when something gets broken, what do we have to do? We have to fix it. If I screw up with my wife and I'm a jerk and I say something stupid, guess what I have to do? I have to work. I got to go to the HEB, got to get some flowers, maybe chocolates, depending on what I said. Maybe a stuffed animal if it's like level 10, you know. There are things that need to be done if I am going to go from the doghouse to the penthouse. You know what I'm saying? I have to do some work. And we carry this on into how we understand our relationship with God. We screw up. We sin. We run back into the wall. We run back into that addiction, that sin pattern that has labeled us and has laced itself into its identity with, to our identity with us. And then we hit that and we think that we have to do to God what I have to do to Liz. But that's broken. We resist sin because of the love of God. We don't we don't resist sin to then receive the love of God. Jesus would often talk to groups of people and similar to that girl coming up, Liz's friend, and pointing out on the instructions like, yo, you're doing it wrong. Jesus would go up to groups of people and tell stories that would have them go, oh, I think I'm doing it wrong. And one of these moments was in Luke 15, when Jesus found himself surrounded by a crowd of people that are described in Luke 15 as tax collectors and sinners. They are the people in society where their labels have gone public. It's one thing when your label is loud to you. It's a whole nother thing when society begins to identify you by what you have failed at versus who God has said that you are. These people were at the bottom of the bottom, so much so that Luke, who is a godly man, describes them by their label. They're cheats, they're sinners. And Jesus was surrounded by these guys. And I love this because, look, everything that Jesus did was on purpose for a purpose. And, and Jesus here in Luke 15 is making it crystal clear that where we belong is with those who have been rejected. We are not, we're, we're not called to just remind them that they're rejected. We're supposed to be there with them. And Jesus hears church people talking about him as he's spending time 
with the broken. You got to love church people, man. Love church people. It was a bit of a joke. I do love church people, though. Just not this guy. So these religious leaders, like, point out, man, if Jesus is, is supposed to be this religious leader and this person who's bringing in all this truth and new revelation, why in the world would he spend time with these people? Why would he do that? Right, because they're coming from an understanding that they have to resist the world to receive the love of God. And Jesus is getting ready to say, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. And he goes into a series of stories, painting the picture of his heart for us and how it contrasts from how we perceive that we receive restoration and grace from him. And one of these stories in Luke 15 is very famously known as the story of the prodigal son. And if you've been in church at all, even just for like one weekend, you've probably heard something along the lines that is going to reflect some similarity in this story. And my challenge for all of us here today is that we get past the familiarity we have with the story and we begin to see some fresh revelation that God has for us in the story. And Jesus launches into this communication of you're doing it wrong to this group of people. And he says this, there was a man who had two sons and the younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Look, I want you to understand Jesus is trying to paint a picture of absolutely the end of yourself. I've been hungry. I've never been this hungry. I've gone on some fast. I've never walked by a dumpster and been like, oh, temptation. It's never happened to me. I've never like gone around rotting food and been like, Dude, if I could just have a bowl of this. Jesus is trying to get us to understand as he's telling this story that this young man was so desperate that what looked like the way up is the most disgusting thing we can imagine. He thought that would be better than how he's feeling. says this in verse 17 when he came to his senses this is not what i want to preach about today but i want you to hear this there's an opportunity for you maybe here today where you can come to your senses where you can realize that the struggle that you are fighting is not your own 
And this young man came to his senses and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death and I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer, listen to this, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. And so he got up and he went to his Father, look, Jesus knows the human heart, and Jesus understood that in, hum- in the broken human mind and in the broken, deprived human heart, we understand that the way that we get from sin to forgiveness, from unworthy to worthy, is we work. We have to work. Listen to what the son said. I'm no longer worthy to be your son, so make me one of your servants. Because the only way that I'm going to step back into favor, back into your love, back into your acceptance, is if I work my way from what I did back into your arms. I'm unworthy, therefore I need to do work so that I can then become Worthy. I screwed up with my boss, so I need to do some work so that I can right that wrong. I messed up in my relationship with my wife, so I have to do some work so I can go from the doghouse to the penthouse. We think, we do, we act that if we're unworthy, how we get worthy is we work our way from unworthy to worthy. And Jesus is letting us know in this story, we're doing it wrong. We're doing it wrong. He goes on to say that while he was still a long way off, the son is now on his way back to his father. And the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him and the son said to him look he had been rehearsing this speech he was started rehearsing this speech as he was like serving up the, the the slop to the pigs he's like yo and we look we do this very same thing you ever had to have a hard conversation how many times do you have that hard conversation in your mind before you actually have that hard conversation you know what I'm saying? Like, is we like you're gonna you're gonna come clean of some stuff. You're gonna you're gonna be honest about where you've screwed up in life. The first time you run through that speech is not with the person. You are talking in your mind, but this dude had been rehearsing this the whole the whole walk from the 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 place where he was a slave all the way to his dad's house. He's been saying, "Look, I'm just going. I'm going to go right up to my dad. I'm going to say I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm, I'm I'm no longer worthy to be called your son." And so the the dad is running to him, like running, charging at him. He throws his arms around him and he kisses him and the son launches into the speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, this is my favorite part of the story. Jesus is saying the father didn't even acknowledge He did not even acknowledge what the son said. The son's like, look, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Look, I'll just be one of your servants. And and, and the father said to his servants, quick, bring me the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring 
on his finger, sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. These three things that Jesus describes that the father gives to his son are significant. One, the robe. It is the covering of his father's house. He's no longer outside of the family. He is now identified as being covered by the family. The ring, his inheritance, everything that he had lost had been restored back to him. His place of prominence and authority in the family was not squandered with his poor decisions. It was restored to him by the father's forgiveness. The third thing is these sandals that were put on his feet so that he could go on a walk and walk the land that he has again. You see, we think we have to work our way into the love of God to go from unworthy to worthy. And Jesus is telling us, no, 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 no. I'm not going to shame you for this. I'm going to restore you so that you can fully understand this. I'm going to restore everything that you lost, every, every bit of your identity that you said you didn't want. Don't think that what this young man said to his father was a small thing. He said, I want you dead. I wish you were dead. He went to his dad and said, I wish you were dead. So let's just go ahead and pretend like you're dead. Give me everything that you're going to give me. I'm going to go my way. You're going to go your way. Cool. Son leaves, goes to Vegas. Blows everything he has. Comes back. Deserving punishment, but receives restoration. Got to be honest with you. I love it, but I also don't get it. I don't get it. Like, the distance between the son's behavior and the father's response, it seems to be too big for me. Like, almost not believable, right? Like, at the very least, tell him, yeah, dude, that was a bad decision. At the very least, acknowledge his apology and say, yeah, cool, you did screw that up. But you know what? It's going to be okay. We're here for you. That would have even felt better than let's throw a party. Let's give him back everything that he lost in one instance. Let's not even acknowledge his sin. Let's celebrate my love. Doesn't make any sense to me. It makes no sense to me at all. Because look, let's, can we just be real? There is a distance between sin and forgiveness. There is a space. Isaiah 59, 2 explains that space this way. It says that our iniquity has separated us from, separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that you will not hear. Sin does create distance. The story that Jesus was telling, the son deserved to lose his place in the family. But Jesus is showing us in this story why he came. 
I heard this one time and I was like, man, it's so perfect. So I'm just going to steal it. It's the space between our performance, what we do, our decisions, the things we've screwed up, our performance. And God's perfection is the work that Jesus did on the cross. So here's the thing. There is work that has to happen for us to go from sin to forgiveness, from unworthy to worthy. But that work has been paid for us on the cross. Jesus did the work so that we can experience his grace. So yeah, the gap is too big. The son doesn't receive what doesn't doesn't deserve what he ended up receiving from the father. But that space between our performance and God's perfection is the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. So when we begin to feel these labels, these loops that remind us of our brokenness and reveal to us how jacked up we are and how selfish we are, how insecure we are, how petty we are. When we have moments where we realize how shallow we are and how broken we are, it's not for us to wallow around in who we're not. We're supposed to put a cross on that label and step from our brokenness into his forgiveness and receive the love that he has for us. Because it's in receiving the love that he has for us that's actually going to strengthen us to resist the sin that's trying to kill us. We have to let him love us. We have to put a cross on the sin patterns in our lives. And let the work that Jesus did for us close the gap between our performance and his perfection. You know, one of the most complex truths, I believe, in all of Christianity, one of the hardest things to actually believe, it's not that God does miracles. That's like easy to believe. If he's God, he can do what he wants. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's easy, man. God wants to heal somebody, boom. I don't have any problem believing that. Like, that's not tough. I don't have any problem believing that God can change a city. Like, that, like sometimes we think these bigger things, like, oh, man, it's got to be hard to believe that. No, no, no. I think the hardest thing to believe in Christianity is that God loves us. And that's evidenced in how we respond to him. Because when we screw up, we start thinking, man, what work do I need to do to go from unworthy to worthy? What do I need to do? What do I need to do to feel better? Look, can I be honest? Like, I had a really crappy week this week. I did, I'm not impressed with myself this week. I'm not impressed with how I responded to my kids. I'm not impressed with how affected I was by stuff that was happening around me. I was unimpressive on every front. And yesterday, I'm spending some time with myself praying, trying to like, I'm getting ready to preach this message and I need to be sitting in the front row having somebody preach it at me. And I did not, I, my, I felt myself rejecting God trying to come close to me. I'm like, no, dude, like I screwed up, man. 
Like I, I raised my voice at my kids. I did the very thing that I said I would never do. You know, I overreacted and I grabbed all their Halloween candy and threw it in the trash. <laughs> I'm not impressive, man. I'm telling you. I, like, I, I, I overreact. I, I, and and I, did not, I, I did not want to let God love me. I didn't. I was like, dude, no, I'm unworthy right now. I'm unworthy right now. Like, I haven't lived right. I haven't lived right, so you can't, you can't draw near to me. I haven't done right. Like, I've got to do some stuff before I can let you do some stuff. And I felt like Jesus just kind of like broke into my world and he said, so the cross wasn't enough for you? Like the work I did on the cross wasn't enough for you? Like it wasn't, that, that wasn't bigger than your temper? That wasn't bigger than your horrible responses? That wasn't bigger to your selfishness? Yeah, there's a, there's a gap between my performance and God's perfection. But that gap is closed by the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. Not the work that I did to get to the cross. And I think if we really believe this some things that we feel like we can't get free from because we're going about it the wrong way we're trying to beat it so that he will accept us when he's trying to love us so that we'll have the strength to beat it if you need freedom you need his love Yeah, you're, you're going to need accountability. You're going to need help. You're going to need people around you. You're going to need the Bible. You're going to need all of those things. You need his love first. It starts with you feeling his love for you. That's how things begin to change. That's what keeps us in the game. That's what keeps us in the fight is knowing that, man, it's just his love that he has for me, the work that he did for me. And then all of the brokenness that is in us, he begins to restore us, begins to heal us as he loves us. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get better and then demonstrate the work of the cross. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. This simple declaration is just making it very clear to us that in Jesus, these loops that have created labels for us have been erased. The old is gone. It's gone. And the new is here. And what's the new? It's receiving this to resist this, not feeling like I have to work my way from being unworthy 
to worthy. That's gone. The new is here. Jesus makes all things new. He's the loop breaker. It's the name of my message is loop breaker. Jesus is the loop breaker. The cross shattered the loop. The cross erased your label. What I believe God wants to do for us right now is that he wants to transition us from being able to understand that what God did for us on the cross forgave us of our sin. And he wants us to experience what Jesus did for us on the cross, cleansing us of the weight of our sin. Purifying, purging, washing, restoring, renewing, erasing, and allowing us to experience his love in a way that is so big and so extravagant. It's so wonderful and so beautiful that these things over here, these things in the world, remember if we love the world, the love of God is not in us because if if the love of God is in us, the world has nothing for us. And so I want us to stand because this is one of those messages where I don't believe this is just like for a couple of us to respond. I think this is one of those messages where it's for all of us to respond because it's, it's not a simple thing to believe that the love of God is for us. It's not a simple thing to believe. I believe it's a, it's, a, it's a supernatural heaven deposit over us to really understand his love. And so what I want to do is I just want to pray for us. And I just want to say, God, would you come and love on us? And what happens when the love of God is welcomed into a place is that we, we, we oftentimes will get very clear about the, the gap, the space between our performance and his perfection. But that awareness is so that we can experience his forgiveness. Just like the father was aware that his son had run away, but that did not shape how he responded to the son. He restored him. He healed him. He, he gave him back everything that he had thrown away and said that he didn't value. And he put him back into a place of prominence in the family that he had rejected. Not because of what the son had done, but because of the love that the father had for him. So God, right now, we just invite you to come. invite you to come would you come love on us right now Lord for those of us that feel stuck in a loop and in a pattern and an addiction or we don't even feel like we have strength to fight anymore we don't have any strength to, we're like Elijah just being like Lord I've had enough I've had enough of this I've had enough of this struggle I've had enough of this pain I've had enough of this disappointment and the same time, God, we feel unworthy. We're so aware of the gap between you and us. We're so aware of how we live and how perfect you are. And, and, and we're, we're, we're projecting our understanding of restoration in the world on, on our understanding of, of how you do restoration, God. And that is that you love 
us first. You love us first. And we get free when we receive the love that you have for us. That's our, that's our motivation, our strength, our, our dream, our desire, all of those things, God. It, it happens when we experience the love you have for us.